Hey, my name is Tiffany Vaughn, and I'm on a mission to help regular people like me find their voice and then use it for lifting themselves and others up around them. I'm a small town mom to three kiddos with my hubby James, and man, have we been dealing with a lot. But isn't everyone? I lovingly call it our hard, beautiful journey, and I bet that yours is too. In season one, I tossed the bricks from my shoulders that were weighing me down. Bricks that represented shame, embarrassment, regret, loss, you name it, I was feeling it. I am now taking those bricks and building up a stronger foundation for myself and our family. I have created this safe space for me and you to open our hearts and our minds and to use our voices to help others know they are not alone in their struggles. Marriage and divorce, mental health, infertility, parenting, and some soul journey work are all topics we discuss here. But let's be real for a minute. Life can definitely be hard, but it can also be so dang beautiful, am I right? So pull up a cozy seat, grab your beverage of choice, and join me as I help others talk about their hard, beautiful journey. I know they will inspire you as much as they inspire me. So let's get started. Hello, welcome back to Hard Beautiful Journey. You are here with Tiffany Vaughn. And today on the podcast, I have a special person, my cousin. My cousin James Carson is on the podcast with me today, and I'm super excited. He is someone super, super special to not just me, but to everyone in our family. He has done some amazing things in his life, such as rolling across Ontario on his rollerblades. Like, what? A long, long ways (laughs) in Ontario. He raised $28,000 for Canadian Cancer Society, and he rollerbladed 2,215 kilometers in 52 days. Seriously. He's also raised money for sticking it to cancer. He has raised $28,000 to help bring Megan home. And recently, uh, last year, he was involved in the Rock to the Rockies, which was a cross-Canada cycling journey that raised just shy of $60,000 for youth mental health. They did that in 51 days and 7,600 kilometers. Unbelievable. He's done all of this, but he's also had his own very hard, beautiful journey, and it is one in a very tough mental health battle. He wanted to be on this podcast with me to shed some light on the fact that men also struggle with their mental health, and he is also a teacher, and the impact that um, mental health is having in our schools with our kids and I'm just really excited to get into this episode with him so that you can all hear about his journey and things that he has done to help his mental health. Without further ado, here is my unbelievable cousin, James. Hello, James. How are you doing? Stephanie, I'm excellent. How are you doing? I am doing good. I am so happy that you are here with me. I've been talking to you about being on my podcast for the entire time I've been doing my podcast. Yes, this is true. This is true. (laughs) You were one of the first ones that I said I wanted on my podcast. Is that not true? 
That's uh, that's correct. Yeah, when we uh, were chatting about it, uh, you know, that idea when your idea came to fruition, I was very excited to uh, to come on. Mm-hmm. So, like I said in my intro, James is my cousin, and he lives in Ontario. And as everyone knows, I live in Alberta and lived in Alberta most of my life, Saskatchewan and Alberta. And with James and his sister, my other cousin, Martha, living in Ontario, we definitely didn't see you guys as much as we would have liked. And when we did, when you guys were coming, it was a big deal like for our family. And we were so excited. And I remember the one summer you guys came out and wow, like it was like, James and Martha are coming and <laughs> it was so special when we actually got to see you guys so oh, I, I appreciate that and and, and likewise uh, when, whenever we headed west it was something special for sure mm-hmm. and I'm just so grateful that we have reconnected over the last few years and really been each other's support over the last couple of years for sure um, we've both really needed it. Um, We've been in some pretty dark places. Both of us have been. And Mm -hmm. I think without you as one of my big supporters, it would have not been as easy for me to climb out of that dark hole that I was in, which you know very well, I was in one, right? So um, what James is here to talk to me and us about is mental health from the men the male perspective and what that looks like and and just so everyone knows James is a teacher what grades do you teach James Uh, I'm teaching uh, five and six year olds this year grade one grade one wow grade one (laughs) a whole new a whole new ball game whole new ball game my boys are grade two so I know what (laughs) I know what you're talking about. Um, So I would like to talk in general just about mental health, how it's affected you, how as a teacher it has affected you and Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So um, where do you want to start? What when do you when do you think your main struggle with your mental health started? Uh, I'd say about four years ago, I had a lot of things going on um, in my life, both professionally and and personally. And uh, I don't know if there's a specific trigger that that led me down that path, but it was a very slippery slope. Um, I really, hindsight being 2020, and I think even earlier than when I was first diagnosed, um, I never envisioned myself being on that path. Um, I, I would have to say that most of my life, uh, I, would, I prided myself on doing my best and being in being in a good position and involving myself in, in different things and, and surrounding myself with good people and um, relying on my family. And, and I, I have a great family and I have a great job. I live in a great country. It, it just it didn't compute for mm-hmm. some reason, and I didn't. I don't think I had an appreciation for other people who were going through things like that until I was actually immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of think that a lot of people don't understand that. 
Yeah. I think now that I'm on the other side, I think my viewpoints of people that had difficulties managing with mental health, with whatever perspective, was not nearly where it should have been. Mm-hmm. And I think I don't even know how how to how to put that into words with naivete, maybe lack of knowledge, um, lack of interest, perhaps. But it came into the forefront very, very quickly, and it really gave me an appreciation of how hard it is to to go through something like that, that I went through. And uh, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder mm-hmm. and um, anxiety, and and that was that was very new territory for me. Uh, medication was new territory for me. Therapy, uh, the highs and the lows, and you know, thinking that, and even even from a suicidal ideation perspective, I never really envisioned myself thinking along those lines as to why why my brain would even go there. I just felt, and again, being on the outside and being on the inside are two different places. I always thought before I experienced any of those thoughts, I always thought that that's selfish. People always had a way out and you live in a great country and there are many options available to you. So you know, why would you ever, ever choose to, to end what God has given you? And, and now that I've been in that place, I know that all I wanted to have happen was to have the pain stop. I didn't know how to stop it. I was almost like a slave to its power. And I was in a constant battle with my brain all the time. And it was just, I felt that it was a battle that I was losing. Uh, and luckily, when I got knocked down, I got back up again. And I did that multiple times. And mm-hmm. I, I'm glad I did. Um, because now, you know, still going through things, but being on, being on the clearer side of things now, that that struggle and that perseverance and that being at rock bottom, that's about as strong as you're going to need to be. Um, to try and get through things. And I typically don't like to use the word struggle a lot. I, I personally think that management is mm-hmm. is a better word. I think terminology has a lot to do with, stigma has a lot to do with per, um, terminology, mm-hmm. um, people's viewpoints, slang. And I think that's got to come a long way. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I, you know, you take a phrase like, oh, that's crazy. Or that's insane. Or, you know, we're using mental mental health terms um, you know, to describe things that they don't even describe so yeah I, yep. I like I like to say I had difficulties managing as, as I think we all do or, mm-hmm. where I think our our health is management and, um, as a teacher um, it's really opened my eyes to the, the management difficulties that a lot of kids have especially at a young age it's different in different communities around the country but you know what? One thing I've tried to learn more this year is is when kids come to school at eight thirty in the morning and they're off or or they're not ready to learn. I always try to think about the the antecedent. You know what what is the precursor to to those difficulties? Could it be an empty stomach? Could it be a fight in the house? Could it be um, a divorce or a separation? Could it be their housing? Um, you know. Possibly those kids are diagnosed with some sort of health condition, physically, mentally, or both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think 
I, I try to break it down. I'm just going through interviews with parents and I break it down into one of five things usually that as a student, even as an adult, if one of these five things is out of whack, then usually there's something going on. So it's food, nutrition, mm-hmm. um, water, sleep, exercise, and trauma. Mm-hmm. So if one of those things is out of whack, I can pretty much tell when the kids walk through the door what kind of day they're going to have, mm-hmm. what kind of decisions they have to make. And and every time through this pandemic and, and through teaching, I have to always revert to think that these kids are kids. Mm-hmm. We place a lot of expectations on them. And, and sometimes we get a little carried away with the expectations that they don't meet as opposed to the ones that they do meet. Mm-hmm. And some of the pro- some of the protocols that I have in, in class, like some of, the, some of the safety measures that we implement in our building, we just received a couple of days before we started. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a mess. I'm not going to lie. I'm um, going into the first week and people were nervous and I'm sure people's mental states of mind through COVID were very vast and probably still are. Yeah. Um, but, I've I've uh, I've definitely tried to to see people's approach to things from a different perspective, considering mm-hmm. what I've been through and where my brain has been at and the places that I've been. So I I try to I try to encompass that all inclusive to uh, to the people that I teach and the people, the parents that I work with, and and everyone in my life. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your experience with this has given you more compassion for like for your students and just for other teachers and other people going through it i i don't i don't think you can go through what i've gone through without the development of that compassion empathy um love Mm -hmm. connection togetherness i think connection has um it's a bit of a double-edged sword i think you know we're lucky to have technology like you and i are having right now Mm -hmm. But I also think technology is is disconnecting us. Yeah. Con- continuing to disconnect us. Yeah. And I will admit I'm guilty of that. Um, and I know with virtual learning and Zoom and all these technological advances and everything that's been happening over the past ten years, social media, email, like it's it's almost too convenient, mm-hmm. and it sort of takes away from our ability to connect as humans just to have a conversation to just connect with somebody face to face like i always i always tell my students like when you and i were kids like facetime was you know you had to be in front of the person mm-hmm. you had to you had to make a really concerted effort to plan where you were going to meet up and <laughs> and what you were going to talk about and we didn't have phones and we didn't have the internet and, and things seemed a little bit more free and yeah people didn't know things instantly about you before you did and mm-hmm. uh, you know i think social media has a lot to do with it and i think people's perspectives as to how they look or what kind of life they have is is a way too important to a lot of people yeah um and it's it's really like i'm trying to envision what our lives would have looked like if if we had phones and it's just uh, you know as much as people don't want to as much as people want to deny it i think technology as a whole it doesn't necessarily have to be phones it could be tablets it could be ipads it could be apple watches it could be anything like it mm-hmm. just seems to be taking over yeah. people's lives and i think 
that that has contributed to people's slide in mental health. And when I did all of my my fundraising, I, I will I will say that you know it has an, it has its addictions. You know, I was on the phone with sponsors and um, people wanting to donate and putting your ideas out there and you have a different ringtone for this and you have a different ringtone for this and you're always worried about is your battery charged and mm -hmm. you hear that little ding and you're like okay do I go and answer it or do I have my phones at the table or when I'm eating dinner and it's like so a it's, drug it, it is it's, mm -hmm. a, it's an addiction and I've done a pretty good job at distancing myself from it mm -hmm. in the last year or so I've, I'm off social media now which has actually been a blessing Mm -hmm. but um it's it's a journey it's a process and some days you know you think you have things figured out and, and some days you don't and that's the beauty of of life it's it throws you curveball sometimes but, mm -hmm. but if you if you can continue to believe in your own abilities and and not be afraid to ask for help i think that's that's huge mm -hmm. with with stigma especially as a man sort of this this notion that men have to be strong and and you know since since you know back in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s um, you know that whole suck it up attitude was very prevalent and and sort of a, the role of the male has evolved in the family quite a bit since then and I just think that I don't I'm a pretty emotional guy I'm not afraid to wear my emotions on my sleeve and I think it's okay to cry and I think it's okay to to be emotional and say, you know what, I, I'm a, I'm a man and I don't have everything figured out mm -hmm. and I'm not ashamed to say that. Um, I know that I've, I've tried to make as, as good a strides as possible to get to where I think I need to be, mm -hmm. but some days are better than others. And I, I don't know of anybody out there who's perfect. I don't think I, I know I'll never know anybody that's perfect. And I think now that I've come forward I'm, and I've been open with my diagnosis and I'm comfortable talking to people about it, I think that's opened up a lot of people's eyes. And I think a lot of people have been comfortable in speaking to me about it. I came to the conclusion that I had to be vulnerable. I was tired of hiding it, tired of putting on a mask. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, and you and I have talked about this in the past. I, I wore the mask pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of your listeners out there that probably feel the same way. But, mm -hmm. uh, when I decided that I wanted to take that mask off and I decided that, you know, this is who I am, good, bad, and ugly, then the vulnerability was my strength. And you and I have talked about that since. Yep. And vulnerability I, is my strength. Yeah. Say that, that is, over and over and over again. That has been almost my, my motto, but I, I know that, you know, I, I'm listening, I listen to a lot of Brene Brown as, as mm -hmm. you do too. And I can't remember the exact Netflix show. She's got a couple, but there was one where it's like, you know, raise your hand if you've ever done anything courageous. And, you know, I imagine there's people. in order to do that, you had to be vulnerable. And in order to do something vulnerable, you have to be courageous. The two things are intertwined. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe I, I never envisioned at all how many doors this has opened for me in terms of me being completely and wholeheartedly vulnerable with my story and telling groups of people that everything that I've gone through and everything that I felt and, and what, and even, even just, you know, 
talking to you and for me it's a it's the head nod mm-hmm. or i talk to big groups of people and and if i say something and i see people's heads nod like it's you just know you feel mm-hmm. that that level of connectivity and and you know that you're you're the voice for a lot of different people mm-hmm. people who are afraid people who are afraid they're going to lose their jobs or their family or their spouses or their kids the amount of parents that i talk to who are just completely overwhelmed with their child, their child's mental health, the direction of their life, medication, therapy, strategies to improve different areas of their life. And it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people are beginning to understand that it's just not depression. Yeah. And it's not just anxiety. It's bipolar disorder and it's schizophrenia and it's obsessive compulsive disorder. Like it's, I think as the years progress, people are becoming more aware of how, just how complex this is. Yeah. And I don't think that this country has even come close to equipping itself with the tools necessary at the rate that it's going. No. Um, In terms of people taking their lives, waiting for therapy, waiting for resources, waiting for money that's promised that never seems to arrive. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to qualify people in this province anyway has been tremendously difficult. Mm-hmm. I remember when we were cycling across the country when it, we went into Swift Current and we had dinner with um, a pastor. I will, I will uh, keep him nameless. Mm-hmm. And we had dinner with a pastor and he, very welcoming community. Um, mm-hmm. Gives me fond memories of Swift Current back in the day. Mm-hmm. He said that he was one of the only therapists in southwestern Saskatchewan. And I thought that's an absolute travesty. It is ridiculous. And I think about the rate of suicide in this country, and I think about the rate of people that need help and they can't get it mm-hmm. uh, for sheer lack of different things. It varies across the country. Um, it, it varies on your financial status. Mm-hmm. It varies on your on your socioeconomic status, you know, like if, uh, it always amazes me that, you know, if, if, if you're an NHL hockey player and believe me, there's a lot of good ones out there and you get run into the boards and you mangle your ankle, you're going to get an MRI in between periods mm-hmm. <laughs> in the dressing room, in the trainer's room, wherever, mm-hmm. or some people need an MRI and they wait six months for an MRI mm-hmm. uh, instead of six minutes. Uh, it's it's the same it's the same here you know there's there's people in this gun not necessarily in, in pro sports but just everywhere there's people that you know if you're in a certain position or if you have certain money or if you live in a certain community then you know resources are more readily accessible to you and i feel for the people who live further north yeah absolutely um, in our inuit communities and in our um first nation yeah communities and and i've just even you know even communities across the country it doesn't matter where you are there's there's people that need help in every single town mm-hmm. regardless of their gender regardless of their age regardless of how much money they make mm-hmm. and you know it's it's unfortunate we have a long way to go there's no magic solution the whole covid thing that's happened it really has brought things into perspective in terms of how much emphasis we're putting on it for mm-hmm. and for good reason mm-hmm. um but the mental health, 
difficulties that this country is having, COVID is exacerbating it oh. a, hundred, a hundredfold. It was, that's the thing though. It was always there, but it it's, was always it's, there. Yeah, now, it's always there, but this has really brought it to the forefront even more. And, yeah. You know, people are, I think people are beginning to think about, you know, the level of exercise, and how long they're on screens, and mm-hmm. how they need to exercise and how well they eat mm-hmm. and drink water and stay away from the news, perhaps. Mm-hmm. This, whole, this whole COVID fatigue thing, you know. Yeah. You know, I think about a year ago and <laughs> who knew that this year was going to turn out the way it did? Never. Never. Nobody did. No. And, you know, I, I just, I try to wake up every day and, and feel blessed and to, to sort of talk about, you know, a fellow Albertan, uh, Theo Fleury, you know, one thing that, that he mentioned when I chatted with him was, and, and it always resonated with me. I remember I was in Peterborough, I was listening to him and Haley Wickenheiser, Michael Landsberg and Clint Malarchuk, and it was a, an amazing evening for mental health. The first time I heard him speak was, you know, any any time I can wake up out of bed and rub my feet on the floor, it's a good day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and for your listeners that know Theo's story, you know that he's had quite the story. And mm-hmm. for for him to be able to turn things around and be the advocate that he is, especially um, out, out close to where you are, mm-hmm. um, he came down to Ontario a couple of years ago for us and and did an amazing presentation for a couple hundred people. And he's such an inspiration and. And an advocate for being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He's, his story was, and still is, continues to be tremendously powerful. And I know that that trying to to talk about things is is healthy. And I know that beforehand I really didn't think that way. Yeah. But but being vulnerable, like being a teacher, I'm in an important position. I'm a I'm a leader in the community, and I'm a parent. Um, I've been teaching for 22 years. I've taught every elementary grade there is. Uh, different subjects and and I felt that it was a bit of a teaching moment you know I, I think to myself you know what are we practicing what we're preaching or are we just sweeping it under the carpet mm-hmm. and I know that I have not had one since I made my diagnosis fully public I've not had one negative interaction with a parent about it I've not had a single not had a single parent go to administration and say uh that that man should not be teaching my child mm-hmm you know, and, and I think that 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 speaks volumes to members of our community and, and members of people across the country that I've met. And, uh, it, you know, it sounds like such a cliche. You know, we, we hear cliches all the time, but you really don't. They're cliches for a reason. And I remember when we went across the country and we were telling our story and I was telling my story. Everyone has a story mm-hmm. and everyone wants to be heard. Everyone wants to be loved. Everybody has the same needs. And they want to be when, seen. They heard. want to be seen, heard, loved, loved. Hugged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, we all, we all need it. We all want it and we all need it. And I think when people realize that, I think this country would be a better place to live. Mm-hmm. I am thankful that we live here. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think about, you know, if, just turn on the six o'clock news and you'll be thankful to be where you are. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, turn and it off. I have to turn it off. Like I go in spurts where I watch it and I don't know about you, but I can, I have a clear distinction of how my mental health is 
when I'm watching it and when I'm not watching it. I, I, I have think, to make the decision to not watch it. Right. And I even think, I even think about somebody like Trump. You know, I don't want to turn this into political, into something political, but I, I'd be very interested to, and I'm, I will say I, I'm not a fan of the gentleman, but I, I would say that I would be interested to see a lot of his, his upbringing, mm-hmm. his, his mm-hmm. backstory, his, mm-hmm. his parental influences, his uh, social circles, his, mm-hmm. his, his, how he developed into the person that he is. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think a lot of people, they only see what they see. Mm-hmm. They only see what the media, you know, how many, how many different ways can you show what he's going through? Mm-hmm. You know, if you just take away him, take away his title, take away the fact that he's um, a billionaire, mm-hmm. like what's exactly going on mm-hmm. inside that man's head? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of trauma has he been through? What kind of, decisions has he had to make mm-hmm. um, I, I think that also too and, and i'm not defending anything by any stretch but i think you know that glass house rule is always in effect you know mm-hmm. you can always be a, a keyboard warrior you know but once oh, yeah. you're immersed in that situation it's like well what are you going to do mm-hmm. and always and, and i think that's why people get comfortable behind a computer and cyberbullying and just the immense amount of garbage that goes on, on social media and People aren't people aren't afraid to type it, but you know if they were face to face with that person, would you actually say it to their face? Yeah, exactly. So it's you know I just think about where people have come from and opportunities that they have or haven't had, and mm-hmm. um, it happens to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I I would have to say I had a pretty pretty good upbringing. I know that my parents split when I was young, and and that you know that still shapes and molds some of the decisions that I make today, but. I can't really complain about the opportunities that I was given uh, mm-hmm. in terms of you know, my ability to be under a safe roof and be fed and have um, family and employment opportunities and friends and athletics and things like that. But it doesn't, mental health doesn't discriminate. It never has. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to realize that, that it's, it's tremendously complex. Yeah, that is a, Very good way of saying that, for sure. I am loving this conversation, but first, a word from my sponsor. In my podcast, you've probably heard me refer to finding your person. I believe in the importance of having someone to connect with, such as a therapist or a counselor. A person who can objectively support you on this crazy journey of life. The team at Simply Counseling Services can help you find that person. They focus on keeping things simple on the path to your healing. They offer locations in both North and South Calgary for in-person appointments as well as virtual sessions. Take the first steps on your path to healing by setting up an appointment. Visit their website at simplycounselingservices.com to learn more. So you've you've mentioned a couple of times coming across Canada, so... Let's talk about your rollerblading first. <laughs> your sure. rollerblading um, across Ontario. What was that all about? Well, I've always been a big fan of Terry Fox. Still, still am. Always will be till the day I die. Mm-hmm. I can't. So inspiring. Oh, I just I could I could do a whole episode with him. But mm-hmm. He's such an inspiration, and he continues to carry on his legacy forty years later. And 
I was in awe when I was a kid at, at what he was doing, and I said to myself, I always wanted, I always wanted to go across, go across Canada. I love to skate. Mm-hmm. I love to inline skate, and and I thought, you know what, I, I don't have the time. I I'm a teacher, and you know, um, I'm blessed to have the time off that I have, but like, but skating 8,000 kilometers would take me more time than I had. Mm-hmm. So I decided to downsize a little bit and and skate. <laughs> downsize relatively speaking <laughs> um but uh, Ontario's kind of big so yeah you know what and that's that's a lot of um the big thing like I knew how big Ontario was and I know I still know how big it is but from where I live I'm about an hour and a half north of Toronto I live on, on Georgia Bay and by car it takes you to take the Trans Canada around the Great Lakes it takes you longer to get to the Manitoba border than it does to, to get to Disney World so it takes you 23 hours to get to the Manitoba border from where I am by car. And it takes you 20 hours to get to Orlando. Wow. So I wanted to skate across the province. Yeah. And it it was a big task. It took me a couple of years to plan. I did it in the summer of 2014. And I went from Kenora to Pembroke, for those of your listeners that know where that is. It's about 1,800 kilometers on the Trans-Canada. And then from Pembroke into Osaga Beach was another 415. Just over 2,200 k. It took me 52 days to do it, and wow. um, it uh, was an experience of a lifetime for sure. No kidding. And you, know, you were raising money for. I that. was raising money for for cancer research and to try and continue to carry on you know, Terry's legacy and mm-hmm. get to skate on the same some of the same highways that he ran on. You could just feel his presence there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm could you just, feel his energy? Like as I can, I can feel it right now. I just as soon as I say that, I feel the tingles in my body. And yeah, I actually, it was actually interesting because that day, when I skated from Thunder Bay to Nipigon, those of your listeners are familiar with that. That's the Terry Fox Highway of Courage. Mm-hmm. And that day, I'd probably say was one of the tougher days, even though from an elevation standpoint, my the weather was perfect. The elevation between Thunder Bay and Nipigon is not not nearly what it is in other parts of the province. I felt very, very drained that day, very heavy. My legs were heavy. Mm-hmm. My stride was different. And I was just felt like I was just kind of physically and mentally taken aback by the enormity of what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I just felt him there. And you'd think on you'd think that having him there and skating up to the Terry Fox Monument in Thunder Bay that that would give you lots of juice and it would give you lots of adrenaline and really like make you just fly but it actually had the reverse effect on me it was it really made me ponder and think and and it kind of took took over my mind and my body and my father-in-law who was with me at the time he was like are you okay and I was like I'm it just took me over Mm -hmm. and then from from that point on I just knew that I had angels with me and and know that I was going to do it. It's I do not recommend it to anyone. Um, <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> well, not only is it physically hard, but it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, Ontario, I'm, you know, you see it out west all the time. Yeah. You see 18 wheelers going past you at 120 kilometers an hour, and there's no shoulder, and there's rumble strips, and there's cuts between the rock cuts between the Canadian Shield, and you know you're going down massive elevations and yeah. and you know windy curves and traffic and yeah. you name it wildlife weather 
Yeah. It was it was the whole gamut of, of things. Luckily, we were able to do it safely, and, and that had a lot to do with the planning. This is just not something you can leave your house and do. Mm-hmm. But, but How man, many years it, to plan? Two years to plan that? Two. But man, it was fun. Yeah. Um, it was very difficult, but very rewarding. Mm-hmm. I have a, I had a friend of mine who's since retired that, that told all of the Ontario Provincial Police um, divisions across the province that, you know, if you see this this guy on skates out there, you know. Protect he's, him. He's, protect him, then he's legit. Just mm-hmm. to know that he's coming. And, yeah. you know, if somebody calls in and say, hey, there's this guy out there on skates and he kind of hurt himself. And da, 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 da. So, yeah. It, uh, <laughs> you know what? People it connected me with people that I still, that I still contact and I still keep in touch with. And mm-hmm. it just gives you a greater appreciation of the beauty of this country to just wake up every day and go, wow, I get to skate this. Yeah. And, um, I will, uh, a little funny anecdote. You really see in Ontario, which, uh, which parts of the province get money for transportation and roads. <laughs> because, uh, Northern Ontario does not get enough, um, <laughs> I think the people of Thunder Bay and Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury can uh, can attest to that. Yeah. Kind of felt like you were skating with a jackhammer in your hand. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, there I couldn't some, even imagine. That would be so were, dangerous. Yeah, there, there were some days where my feet were numb. It oh, just, yeah. just resonated all the way through your body. But then there were other days where you felt like you were skating on glass. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and was that in the Toronto area or where was that? Uh, you know what? We, we stayed away from Toronto. Did you? Um, yeah, there was different different sections. There were some construction sections where they wouldn't let us through and mm-hmm. on on skates, so I had to hop in the RV. But um, yeah, there were some certain sections in, in the province that were just amazing, and you had a bit of a lot of time too. And this was a, a myth. This is a this is a myth. A lot of people think you know when they watch the weather, oh, if, you know, why are you you're doing this the westerly winds? So if you're heading west and you're gonna have the west the wind behind you, not not necessarily so. <laughs> From Kenora to Thunder Bay, we had we had northeast winds almost every day. Really. And wow. uh, yeah, the wind is, uh, you know, like it gave me a greater appreciation of the wind as well. And, and, and Mother Nature reigning supreme, and mm-hmm. she can she can do whatever she wants, and it's our job to adapt to it. And I know she that she is boss. She, you know what? You're right. It's yeah. uh, over everybody. Uh, <laughs> one thing yeah, death death taxes and the inability to control the weather you know the three things yeah so you've done that one you've done other fundraisers but the the other massive one massive I still am just amazed that you guys did this tell us about the biking across Canada well originally um like I said earlier, I want to go across Canada, but I um, just didn't have the time. And a friend of mine always wanted to bike across Canada. Uh, she's an avid cyclist. And I said, well, you know what? She doesn't skate, but I could bike. So the two of us decided that we were going to go across country. And I started to bike. It was a little out of my element. And I will admit I'm not an avid, avid, diehard cyclist, but I figured that I would be in in the two or three years that it's been in my training and working with Nancy and um, I could, it's something that I could do. 
And so we got into training and sponsorships and route planning, and it's, it's a massive undertaking. Places to stay, gas, RV, drivers. Like it's just, there's so many elements to think of. Mm-hmm. From St. John's to Vancouver, just under 8,000 K. Mm-hmm. Canada is massive. I think if, if a bucket list for your listeners, if you ever get to drive across the country, I highly recommend it. Yeah. About a year or so into the training, I ran into some health issues, some physical health issues. And my doctor said that it wouldn't be a good idea to, uh, to take on such an undertaking in terms of the physical toll that it would take on my body. And we almost had to shut it down, mm-hmm. the idea, which would have been devastating. But luckily, we had uh, a friend of ours that was able to, a couple of friends that were able to sit in. And I ended up driving the RV behind, behind the cyclist. What an experience that was. We were cycling for a local hospital for the um, Royal Victoria Regional Health Center for the Child and Youth Mental Health Inpatient Unit. And the goal was to raise Mm -hmm. $20,000. This was obviously pre-COVID. Hindsight being 2020, I'm glad we did it in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we raised just uh, just shy of $60,000 and and the awareness uh, that we raised uh, across the country and the support that we received, uh, especially from, from you and your family was, was tremendous. And all of the people that helped us along the way with a tank of gas or a honk as we were cycling by or a place to crash or, you know, just anything to, to have us dip one wheel in one ocean and one, one wheel in the other. It was something that was very gratifying it was it took its toll on us um, mm-hmm. we were away from our families for the whole summer mm-hmm. and the planning took uh, a lot of time away from, from family time and that's something that we we knew it was it was that was going to happen um, but our families were tremendously supportive and and uh, we were successful uh, we left St. John's on July 1st we got to Vancouver on August 17th mm-hmm and then it took me four full days of driving to get back home to Ontario. Yeah. So I actually crossed the country twice. I drove the RV from here to St. John's and then from St. John's to Vancouver and then Vancouver back to here. So I went across the country at 30 kilometers an hour. So let's talk about driving across Canada at 30 kilometers an hour. How is it, that for your mental health? It was brutal. Um, and it was funny because you kind of get used to it you know when when a couple of the cyclists were hitting 40 I was like oh this is going to be a good day <laughs> yeah 10 well, hours at four, 10 hours at 40 kilometers an hour you know is that's a good day yeah but um yeah one one time across the country at, at 30 and the other at 110 yeah absolutely but even just like keeping your concentration and yeah, I was actually looking more behind me than I was in front of me. Mm-hmm. It was a 30, 27, 30 foot RV and we had all the lights and and the warnings and I tried to not impede traffic as best as we could. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, and, and some some areas of the country lead not to like cyclists mm-hmm. and some do. It's just the nature of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people get very, you could tell a lot of places across the country, there was, you know, faster drivers and faster speed limits and 
you know, the trans Canada is a, is an anomaly. It's an entity by itself, you know, and there's very, there's very dangerous parts of, of the country, even in a vehicle on mm-hmm. that highway. Mm-hmm. So my job was to make sure that the girls were safe and, and um, well fed and they got to sleep and we had different media responsibilities and staying in different areas with various charitable events things like that. but yeah. yeah I was I, there was not really a moment for me to turn off no I was, when one cyclist was sleeping I was still driving and I had the hazard lights on the whole time because they connected to our emergency lights yeah. I want you to try to envision two months of hearing click click no and you try to drown it out with music but you know after about four or five days yeah you can't really hear it anymore but yeah. i remember one of my one of my friends uh one of the cyclist brothers was was traveling with me through a police escort through calgary actually and about three or four minutes and the people of calgary shout out to the calgary police department they were fantastic uh dale Seddon, if you're listening you were amazing you and your team um <laughs> And we got about five minutes in and he turns to me and he goes, is that thing on all the time? <laughs> and I said, yep, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it's a, it, that was something that, you know, I, I was very proud of. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was a tough task. I think my body paid for it. Personally. Yeah. Um, as you know, after I got back, I can envision being, give me a, an appreciation of people that drive rigs for a living, mm-hmm. people who drive buses for a living. Your legs never move, never move, and you're always sitting in very similar positions and tired and coffee and food and music. And it's hard to keep your attention for a lot, a long time, and especially at night. And it's uh, it was it was more challenging than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, and it was. It was tougher than that would probably be something I would advise if anybody was to do something similar to really do not understate the value of that safety vehicle behind mm-hmm. cyclists. Yeah. And we we saw cyclists across the country. We saw people who were, had like 60 or 70 pounds worth of gear and having to set up tents. And things like that. that just wasn't for us. No way. So, like being able you know, to sleep in that RV like yeah huge and for three or four of us to sleep in there you know it's it was a bit of a tough go like I slept above the the driver's seat and it was it's very it was very tight up there tight yeah yeah very tight but uh you know what it's all for the greater good and and um we tripled our our financial goal and we we continued to raise a lot of awareness I I think one thing that I'm I'd love to see in the near future and and you see it all the time with various initiatives across the country. But eventually, awareness needs to turn into action. Mm-hmm. Only so so many times as you can. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, talk is cheap. Mm-hmm. And you need, it needs to turn into, yes, your town needs a therapist. Yes, yeah. you, you shouldn't have to wait eight months for a psychoanalysis appointment. You know, um, your medication should be free. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's... I find that when you go into a hospital and you're getting a magnetic resonance imaging and you're getting a CAT scan and, you know, it's covered. Mm-hmm. And I, every time I, it always boggles my mind every time I go and pick up a prescription from the pharmacy and the people, you know, somebody around you, they don't have 
you know, I'm lucky to have to have benefits. Yeah. Not everybody in the country is. And when I see some of the money that these people are forking out just to, just to maintain their level of health, it's yeah. dumbfounding to me how how medication, at least the majority of it, is not covered by by OHIP, by our Ontario Health Insurance Plans. I'm not sure what, what it's like at West for you in, in, in your area of, of the West, but there are so many things that, you know, and, and some of your listeners may go, ah, oh, you know, sometimes general practitioners, you know, they're not as well-versed in mental health. So, you know, medication will just be the mm-hmm. You know, we'll throw you on a, on a Ciprolex, or we'll throw you on this, and you know, we'll just see how it goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, just to write a prescription and give you a piece of paper and it's a band-aid. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think when we we rip off the layers and when we start, you know, analyzing different things as to why people are on this path, uh, I'm trying to envision how things would be without medication. I know a lot of people are anti-medication. Um, they feel that, you know, if they got to that position without medication, they can get out of it without medication. And I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. that um opinion mm-hmm. but i'll tell you right now if it wasn't for medication i'd probably be dead mm-hmm. um i had to go through a lot of um medications to make things balanced yeah i have hypothyroidism so i take medication for that i have high blood pressure i take medication for that so some uh, the initial aspect of it was very tough um to make sure that all of those were working and I'm not sure if you if you're as as well versed in this as I am, or maybe your listeners. But hypothyroidism is nothing to mess with. No, and I think that had a little bit to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in the beginning, my 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 hormones in my body were not being produced properly. And mm-hmm. for any of your listeners that have hypo or hyper um, thyroidism, um, they, I bet you they're nodding their head right now because it's it, I'd never experienced anything like it until. Mm-hmm. You know, I was tired. I was lethargic. I was grumpy. I was agitated and wasn't sleeping and mm-hmm. not digesting anything. And I'm like, something's going on. Yeah. And my, I firmly believe that that had something to do with it. But you know, chemical imbalances and your body's a mysterious uh, machine. You know, and we have to treat it well. And um, you know, I I used to be a drinker, and um, you know, our our family. You can attest to this, you know, back in the day, and even even to this day, really. Um, alcohol's played a big role in mm. in our lives and our family's lives. And yeah. I got to the point almost nine years ago that I said, you know what, enough is enough. And uh, I've been dry for almost nine years, and I think that's helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, different different things I think contribute to different people and what they go through and how they cope and yeah. Um, I've had a lot of people come up to me and and you know tell me about their their management and how they cope and they ask me how I do things and I'm saying you know what I'm not an MD yeah. I don't have all the answers but this is what works for me yeah because what works for me might not necessarily work for you and and I think that's important to remember. I want to say to you first of all thank you I am grateful for. You being there for me over the last three years and all of our (laughs) many conversations, our many texts back and forth and just checking in and uh, just the checking in text. (laughs) Those Mm -hmm. are, those are always so appreciated. And, and just for all of your support, 
over this past year and all of the things that I'm doing and being my cheerleader. I'm just super grateful for you. I appreciate that. Thank you for, for having me on and thank you for everything that you're doing. You're, you're an amazing angel and, and uh, I appreciate everything that you do and everything that you're doing for others and for me. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your, your love and support. And, and uh, I, I wholeheartedly appreciate you and your family. Um, Back at you. It's a, it's a journey for sure. A hard, beautiful journey. Well, that is a wrap for another episode of Hard Beautiful Journey. Please be sure and come back next time. And until then, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Ms. Tiff Vaughn and Hard Beautiful Journey, as well as my website, tiffanyvaughn.ca. Until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye. Just hold on We're all here Waiting for you Just be strong There's so much more left To do The night is cold You're caught inside You are not a Darling, don't let go You may be bruised Yeah, you may be broken The scars that fix you Were not meant to hold you Inside, I'll be.